Ezekiel chapter number one. We're going to read several verses here. What we'll do is, uh, I tell you what, let's say a word of prayer and then I'm going to invite you to be seated because we're going to read several verses. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and for the power and the life change that comes as a product and a result of your word. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us from your word, Lord God, tonight in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. And you, you may be seated. Uh, so I'm a little bit behind in my Bible reading, but in my Bible reading uh, this week, I read again this fascinating passage of Scripture in uh, Ezekiel where it tells where, about where this prophet, this man of God, Ezekiel, was first introduced to the call of God and encountered or experienced the moving spirit of God. And he received a vision from God, and this vision was very unique and very interesting and had a lot of elements that defy logic and understanding. And uh, I, I want us just to read about it. Um, and uh, this may be something you've thought about before, had questions about. And I'm not going to promise you that I can answer all the questions, but I think we're going to look at this for a little bit tonight. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, it was in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Ezekiel was 21, or 31 years of age at the time. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's, Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. And a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass, and they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they, uh, they four had their faces and their wings." Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. and They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. And their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward. Whither the Spirit was to go, they went. And they turned not when they went. They went wherever the Spirit directed them. Verse 13, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. And like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright. And out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of beryl, and they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful, and their rings were full of eyes round about them four." And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were filled or were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Whither was their spirit to go? And the wheels were lifted up over against them 
for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood still, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Now I know this is perhaps part of the Bible reading. When you uh, read these passages, you may kind of skim over them quickly because you're thinking, what in the world is this talking about? Four creatures joined together at the wings with hands under each of their wings. They have feet like the feet of calves and they're on some kind of a cloud and underneath the cloud uh, associated with each of these uh, creatures is a wheel spinning and then another one spinning inside of it and uh, they go these various directions and, and uh, these creatures have four faces, the face of uh, a lion, the face of an eagle, the face of an ox, and the face of a man. And uh, so j- just to give you a little background here of what's happening, this is telling the story of this prophet Ezekiel's calling to do the work of God. Ezekiel lived in the times when the children of Israel were no longer in the promised land. But because of their disobedience, they had been led away captive into Babylonia. So they were in Babylon. And the Bible says that this man, Ezekiel, who was a priest, he was from the priestly family, at 31 years of age was in a prayer meeting with some of the other captives at a river called the River Chibar. And uh, this river, Chibar, was an offshoot of the Euphrates River. And here's the significant part of it. This was in Babylon, but this river, Chibar, was where the Jewish people would gather together to pray. Because they no longer had the temple. They were no longer in Judea. They no longer could go there to the temple mound and and, uh, offer prayer. So this is where they would cry out and travail and intercede. Ezekiel, being a priest, was actually a fairly decent position. It was a position of respect. Uh, It was a position that was looked up to. But at 31 years of age, God put a call on Ezekiel's life to become a prophet. And this role of a prophet was less attractive than a role of a priest. It would have been easier for him to remain as a priest because during this time, prophets were hated ridiculed and often persecuted and many times even killed because the uh, messages that they had to declare to the backslidden Hebrew people was not a message to encourage them or to make them feel good or scratch them on the back or tell them a new season's coming like we hear all the prophets saying today but it was a message of correction a message requiring repentance a message that was required to produce change. But here, this 31-year-old is in travail, in prayer, in a strange land, amongst other zealous, pious individuals, and he receives a vision from God. You notice that uh, Ezekiel lived in the same time as Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a little bit older than him, and Daniel probably would have been a contemporary of Ezekiel, probably knew each other in Judea before they were led away captive to Babylon. But here he is. He receives his calling from God in a time of prayer. Do you notice that the same thing happened in Isaiah? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah was in the temple during a time of focused prayer when God began to call him to do his work. And you see this throughout Scripture, that God begins to speak and give direction and calling to individuals when they're in times of focused, focused prayer. That's why prayer is very, very important. One of the many reasons why prayer is very important. You can receive direction. You can receive a life calling. You can receive prompting from the Spirit during these times of focused and committed prayer. In this vision, it started with a storm or a whirlwind 
that brought to him these creatures, which as we interpret the word of God by the word of God, somebody can say, well, I thought it was this, I think it was this. Well, uh, Ezekiel tells us in chapter 10 that they were cherubims. These creatures were cherubims. And uh, these creatures in the vision, cherubims, were first mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. And then we see the, these cherubims are in the tapestries in the temple. These cherubims are carved into the Ark of the Covenant. And we see them as a consistent part of the Hebrew religious tradition. What were these cherubims? These cherubims were servants of the Lord or messengers of the Lord that did the work of God. This was before people were spirit-filled and were prompted and directed by God to do God's work in the world. This is before Jesus was God incarnate on the world, creating disciples that would follow him and do the work of God. So God's messengers during this era, God's workers during this era, were these cherubims, these servants and messengers of the Lord. And we see in this image in chapter 1 that there were four of them. Each of them had four faces and two wheels, one wheel inside of the other. So these messengers, our workers for the Lord, had hands under each, a hand underneath each one of their wings, signifying that they were there to work, they were there to do, they were there to uh, uh, function in a role of working. And uh, these messengers or workers for the Lord had, the Bible says, the spirit was in the cloud and in the wheels that enabled the cloud and the creatures to move quickly. And so what was it that provided their direction? What was it that showed them where to go and what to do? It was the Spirit of God that was manifest in the wheels and in the cloud of these creatures. And it said they would move quickly like lightning and they could move in any direction as the prompting of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit would direct them. You see this cloud that they hovered over the, the wheels underneath and the creatures on top in the cloud. This cloud is symbolic in Scripture of the Holy Spirit. You know that uh, the Bible says that they were baptized in the cloud in the wilderness. That means the children of Israel followed the cloud. The cloud was what directed them. And uh, it says, of course, that we are baptized in the water and the Spirit. And the Spirit is what leads and guides and directs uh, those that are Spirit-filled. So just like these cherubims are directed and prompted and moved about by the Holy Spirit that moves through these wheels within the wheel, a person who is born of the Spirit today is to be directed and prompted and showed where to go by the Holy Spirit. So it was the Spirit of God that gave His servants or messengers direction and motion. And the one thing too that I want to share with you is that these messengers of God had four faces. All around were these Four faces that, in the imagery of this uh, of this vision, no doubt there was symbolism for these four faces: the face of the lion and the eagle and the ox and the man. What I want to share with you today is some of the characteristics of these cherubims as messengers and servants of the Lord. I believe should be transferred to you and I today as spirit-filled messengers or servants of the Lord. The Lord works today through His people. We have been baptized with His Holy Spirit. And so we become spirit-anointed, spirit-prompted, spirit-directed, spirit-propelled agents of Jesus Christ on the earth today. That's why we encourage people and tell them right off the bat, you need the Holy Ghost because we can't tell you everything to do and everywhere to go and every decision to make. Amen. But you need to be led and directed by the Holy Spirit. And when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, suddenly 
like a hovering force. They recognize where to go and where not to go. And God directs them not just uh, in conduct of what would bring glory to God and what would not bring glory to God, but about their goals and their purpose that God gave them, their mission, their objectives that God placed in their spirit uh, is prompted by the Holy Spirit. We, the messengers, the servants of the Lord. There are four faces that we see in this reading. I believe each of them can represent something very significant to a person who would be a servant or a messenger of the Lord. The first one I want to share with you is the face of the lion. One of the faces of the cherubim was the face of a lion. I want today to share with you what I believe the face of the lion would represent. When you think about the lion in the animal kingdom, the first thing that comes to mind is the king of the jungle. The first thing that comes to mind is an animal with courage. The animal is fearless. The animal is intimidated by no other animal. And while other animals may jump and flee, nothing causes the lion to flee. He's the king of the jungle. Uh, we had a song, I don't know why this came to me right now, a song that uh, we had uh, on a little record player when I was a kid. It talked about the lion, the great jungle lion, the lion's kings of the, king of the animals, and he reigns over the animals there. When the other animals run, the, the lion doesn't run because the lion is king. So the face of the lion represents courage, courage. In fact, the lion is the, and we don't believe in uh, 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 using the signs of the stars, but it is interesting that the, the, the sign Leo is the symbol of the lion, and Leo represents heart, the heart. And so the lion is the animal with heart and courage. What I'd like to do is I'd like to give out some Bible scriptures that I want you to read as we go along. And uh, um, why don't you, if you have your Bible and you're willing to read out loud, lift up your Bible because I need some help right now. As uh, Brother Francisco, can you look up Numbers 13 and uh, verse 20? Yes, Brother Rudy. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 and 7. Brother Kenny, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, Brother Leviticus 23 and 3, Nehemiah 4 and 6, Sister 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 14, Sister Kathy, uh, actually that's the last one, so you got off, all right. You guys are going to help me here. So the first face is the face of a lion. The French word for heart is kour, the root word for courage. Courage comes from the heart and from one's deep sense of personal authority. We have the courage to be ourselves. We have the power to act in ways that are in accord with our own spirit. We're not intimidated or forced by those around us to conduct ourselves in a way that's different than uh, what is in our heart. And uh, this is the true meaning of self-esteem, an honoring of oneself that bypasses false ways of gaining the illusion of self-esteem, such as comparing ourselves and deflating another's self-worth or worth in our eyes to make ourselves feel better. But courage comes from the heart. One who acts from a true sense of worth has a quality of self-appreciation that is inspiring and contagious. A person who has courage inspires other people. I think of King David when he was just a boy. When he went out and fought the giant, he knew in his heart that it wasn't right that this man defy the God of the army of Israel. And he knew in his heart that he had what it took as a child of God that he could go out and he could fight this giant. It took tremendous courage. But that heart and that courage inspired other people and became courageous. And other people became giant slayers as well. Amen. 
So an individual who relates to others from the heart is capable of leadership, achievement, and the kind of success that encourages the accomplishments of others. When we look in the Bible, we see this word courage in the King James Version repeated over and over and over where Moses or Joshua encouraged the people, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Let's look at some of these examples. Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 20. This was uh, when Moses sent the spies in to spy out the promised land. He said, go look at what God has promised you. But in order for you to go in, you've got to be of good courage. You've got to have heart to go in and observe what the land has. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 and 7. Right, very good. So before God's people took the promised land, Moses' final words before he died was, be strong and be of good courage. People of God, go in and take the land. Joshua, be strong and be of good courage. Because it takes courage to go forward. It takes courage to take the promises of God. It takes courage to live for God. It takes courage to stand up for righteousness. And a servant of the Lord has got to have the face of a lion. That courage in their spirit and in their heart that says other people may laugh. Other people may try to control my actions, but I'm going to be true to my heart. I'm going to be true to my convictions. Amen. And you look in the Word of God, and many times it, when it, when it uh, uses the word courage, it talks about not being intimidated by the people around you, but being true to yourself and being who you are and being God's called individual. Amen. God's servants, God workers in these last days, it's going to be the spirit that moves us, uh, but it's going to move us because we have the face of a lion, a lion that is courageous uh, and willing to move forward and not intimidated by things around them. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. And living for God, you can't be a pushover. You can't be worried or intimidated by other people. By what people say about you, by what people think. You've got to learn to get your heart in line with the word of God and have that courage like a lion. Amen. That says other people may be fearful, other people may be intimidated, other people may be backed into the corner. But I'm going to do like King David did as he was a little boy and say, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? God can do it. God can use us. Let's step forward in faith. Let's take that step of courage that takes that uh, uh Tenacity. And uh, you know the word intimidate? You know what it means? It means to make timid. To make timid. We don't want to be intimidated by the enemy. Amen. But bold like a lion. Praise God. The second face that uh, uh, on this creature that I notice is the face of an eagle. An eagle. Such a beautiful, uh, regal animal. And uh, I was always fascinated by eagles as a young person specifically because, uh, or more specifically, bald eagles. Because we had some of them where I lived growing up as a child in Iowa. Uh, you, they, you would spot them from time to time. Their head was all white. And uh, they were enormous birds of prey. And uh, if you ever saw one in flight, I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. And they could just soar. And uh, then they could dive from the sky, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen footage of this before, the eagles, all of a sudden they're just soaring, and all of a sudden, they plummet, and right in the field, they may grab up a field mouse, or some bald eagles even can snag fish right out of the water, even though fish are designed in such a way that they're difficult to see from the top. 
But the most, probably the most distinctive characteristic of an eagle is their eyesight, their vision. Eagles are renowned for their excellent eyesight. And uh, the bald eagle is just like the other eagles with that having this excellent eyesight. This is an interesting thing that I learned about the vision of an eagle. They have two centers of focus in their eyesight. So that allows them to see forward and to the side at the same time. Which means they can see what's happening now and they can see what's getting ready to happen. They can see the world they're in now and they can see the world they're about to go into later. Isn't that amazing or fascinating? Two centers of focus. Uh, I don't know if you've tried to focus at two things at the same time, but when I do, it hurts because I go cross-eyed. I can't focus at two at the same time. But the eagle, it, their, their eye has two, uh, it's called foveae, or two centers of focus. And uh, they're capable of seeing fish in the water from several hundred feet above while soaring or gliding in flight. It's an amazing, amazing feat. And uh, these eagles have... Um, have eyelids that close during sleep, an inner eyelid. And uh, every three or four seconds, the membrane slides across the eye from front to back, wiping the dirt and the dust out of the cornea to keep the vision clear. Because the membrane is translucent, the eagle can see even while, it is, uh, even while the, um, the membrane is over the eye. And uh, so the, this is a fascinating. The vision, the, the eye of the eagle is as large as a human's eye, but its sharpness, get this, is four times that of a person with 20-20 perfect vision. Four times sharper. And the eagle can probably identify a rabbit moving almost a mile away. Sees motion and sees movement. This means that an eagle flying at an altitude of 1,000 feet over open country could spot prey over an area almost three square miles at the same time from a fixed position. So the face of an eagle, the distinctive characteristic of the eagle, I believe, is its ability to see clearly, to envision what is coming, to see what's about to transpire. I shared with you that this coming Sunday, we're going to be preaching about our vision for 2012. And I believe that God's servants have to learn to look into the future with expectation. Here's the problem. There are too many people in the world today that cannot see out of today. They live life as it comes to them. And there is no foresight. There is no expectation. There is no forward looking or looking ahead. But in order to be a servant of God that makes a difference and a messenger of God that makes a difference in this world, I believe it's extremely important that we learn to be visionary individuals. Believe that God has a purpose for your life and embrace a vision for your life. Believe that God has a ministry for you and embrace a vision for your ministry. Say, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just prompted and led and directed by the Spirit. But learning to look ahead. A, this is one of the things we're going to be talking about Sunday. Is there are some things that we are going to put in motion in 2012. If there were no vision, we would never change anything. If there were no vision, there would be no forward motion or forward thinking. I said uh, in the church that I preached in on Sunday, I said you're sitting in this church. It was built and completed several months ago, but it was already in the mind of that pastor years before it ever came to pass and uh, was established. Uh, because the eagle has the power to look far, far ahead and see what's coming down the road. And I believe that spirit-filled individuals learn to be visionaries and live their life in such a way, amen, uh, that they have a plan and they have a purpose uh, through prayer and they begin to work towards Towards what God is directing and leading them to do. In fact, the Bible says, without vision, the people 
perish uh, or without vision, the people cast off their restraints. Uh, people are not willing to work together unless there is a common goal and an expectation. Amen? When we talk about vision, we're talking about the tension between the way things are and the way things ought to be. Looking forward, we see things the way that they ought to be. And as pastors and as leaders and as spirit-filled people, we can speak a word, a vision, an expectation into people's lives about what God wants to do in their life. I believe in speaking positive, faith-filled words over people's lives. You can encourage people, amen? So when you're a child of God, when you're a servant of God, the house of God, the people of God, us as workers, we've got to have the face of a lion, but we've also got to have the face of an eagle that is able to envision what is to come. Amen. Keep people working together based on what they can see, based on the expectation of the good things that are to come as a product of their focus and their work and their commitment. Face number three that I see on these beings is the face of an ox, the face of an ox. Oxen, what is their purpose? Strength, work. What's the plural of ox? Oxen. What's the plural of fox? Foxen, no. Oxen are the strongest of the domesticated animals. They have been domesticated for work. For work. Ever heard this before? Pull your load. Pull your share. That's in reference to these beasts of burden that have been domesticated. And from sun up to sundown, they're out there hooked up to a plow that's breaking up the soil so the seeds can be planted, so there can be a harvest. These ox, oxen are the one that are carrying the wagons of the harvest into the barns. The oxen are the ones that are uh, commissioned to do all the heavy lifting and all the hard work. During our... Uh, Vacation that my wife and I enjoyed uh, month and, uh, several weeks ago. There was one place that's called uh, Santorini, and when we arrived, there was a, a pathway. It was a, it was a sheer cliff, but there was a pathway up. I don't know how many thousand feet. Now you could either take the uh, uh, what do you call those carts? The, the, the tram up. Or you could ride up on a donkey. Or you could walk. And I was watching that. You could see. You could see it all the way up. All those donkeys walking up. And I was like, what a life. Why do you, that donkey's probably like, why did I have to be born on Santorini? Why, why couldn't I be born out in the flatlands or something? And why, why was I born here beside this cliffs? Because every day now when I wake up, I have to walk up and down this mountain. All day. The hard work. The effort. What does the Bible say in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2? Who has Genesis 2 2? We see right off that God is the first person in the Bible to work. And God's expectation is that we would work. We are like God when we work. It's frustrating and unfulfilling when we don't work. And as the people of God, in order for the church and the kingdom of God to go forward, we have to have the face of the lion with courage, the face of the eagle with vision. But we also have the face of the ox, which is a willingness and a desire to pull together, to bring in the harvest and to do the planting and the harvesting and to work for what God has called for us to do. It just takes hard work. 
Somebody said, how do you build a church? W-O-R-K. There's a lot of work involved. You say, well, we'll, let, we'll just sit back and let God build the church. Well, the problem is God wants us to work together with him. Amen? Heard uh, somebody was uh, uh, receiving accolades for, for coming in and, and building a great church. And then someone said, you shouldn't give accolades to that person. It was God that built the church. And uh, the, the response was, well, there was no church when God had it by himself. But when man labored together with God, there was a church established in this community. And God wants for us to work to see the kingdom of God. That's how he caused it to happen. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 14? Amen. The, the, the verse, verse here starts by saying we are laborers together with God. We are working together with him. And the Bible says that, and this is the interesting part, if you read that verse, and you heard it read, if you read that verse, it says two things. It says you are what God is building, but you're also building it. <laughs> you're part of the building, but you're also the builder. This is the way it is with the kingdom of God. We are... Uh, a, a, a building fitly framed together. We are lively stones built together into the building. But then the Bible says we're labors together with him and we are working and laying and building on the foundation. So the church is God's building. It's what God is doing. And you're a part of the building, but you're laboring together with him to build the church. That's why when you become a part of the kingdom of God, you uh, get a job. Amen. You, you become part of the process of working to make the kingdom of God move forward and to build up the kingdom of God and to build up the church. This is exactly one of the key reasons why it's completely inappropriate for a Christian to be called a Christian and not be connected to a local church and pulling some of the load together with the other members of the body of Christ. Amen. I've said this before. I think it's cute and funny, but it's true. The Bible says we are lively stones, fitly framed together, not rolling stones. Amen. Papa was a rolling stone. I don't know where he went. But I want to be a lively stone, fitly framed into the building that God is building up. You can't build a church on rolling stones. But you can build a church on people who are fitly framed together. Saying, this is my spot. I'm going to help. I'm going to work. I'm going to help build this building right here. And the kingdom of God then begins to move forward. Hallelujah. Begins to move forward. But <clears throat> when you have everything moving, everything in motion, coming and going, hither and yon, in and out, up and down, over and here, you can't build up a building. You can't build up the church, the body of Christ. And so as part of those that have the face of a lion and the face of an eagle, also there's a face of an ox. And you watch and see. Great churches that are growing have lots of people that like to work. 
They like to work, whatever it is. And uh, I wanted to say a big thank you to those that uh, helped me the other day to chop up the trees. That wasn't very spiritual work, was it? I mean, we didn't. I, I was out there with the chainsaw. I felt very powerful, I, I will tell you. But I didn't feel all that spiritual. I wasn't like, yeah, take that devil. Ah, another one for the kingdom of God. Ah. I was just working. And there were other brothers that were out there just working. While I was working, I went downstairs. There were ladies wrapping bread. They were working. They were using their hands for the kingdom of God to move the kingdom of God forward. Amen. And I, I believe it's important to, to part, start pulling the load. If you feel unhappy in your relationship with God, if you feel unhappy in your church, it's probably because you're unfulfilled because you're not working. But when you get in there, amen. Praise. And I've also heard this. A person who is working doesn't have time to be critical. They're working towards a common goal. There's vision, there's clarity, there's courage, but there's also a tremendous amount of putting your shoulder to the wheel and working hard for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. I, I, I want to tell you that it is extremely rewarding when you work for God, when you work for the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you feel goosebumps the whole time or have stammering lips while you're working. What I'm saying is, is that you become a part of something greater than yourself. You become a part of something that God is building. You become a laborer together with God. You talk about a co-worker, amen. That's God himself. So when you work for the kingdom of God, you're working together with God on his own project. Amen. In Leviticus chapter 20. 3 and 3. I found this interesting. This just kind of hit me today. 23 and 3, Leviticus. This is the law of the Sabbath. What does it say? Now, I, I've always focused on this verse of Scripture where it says, you shall not work on the Sabbath. But what does it say about the other six days? Part of the commandment is, you better be working. Come on now. God's command. See, here's the cool thing about God's commandments. God's commandments are not grievous. God's commandments make your life better. Amen? And when you're not laboring, when you're not working, when you're not committing yourself to something of significance, uh, then you don't feel fulfilled. Amen? And so while the word of God commands rest, it also commands work. You ought to be working six days and taking that day of rest. God declared through uh, the, the Ten Commandments to the people. So labor and work is a part. And I, I, one scripture uh, that uh, I liked, it says, uh, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Amen. And then the Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. I like this passage of Scripture. This is about when a great work was done. And if you study Hebrew history, it's very fascinating that after all of the Hebrew people had been taken into captivity, then there were those that were able to come back and begin to restore the city of Jerusalem and the temple that had been destroyed and the temple was significant. It's not like rebuilding the church. It's like rebuilding their connection with God. Because they didn't have prayer rooms or personal relationship with God or priesthood of the believer. It was all focused through this temple. And when it was destroyed, it was grievous. But they started putting it back together. Look what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. People worked with all their heart. The King James Version says the people had a mind to work. They were ready to work. Amen. Praise God. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to work. I'm ready to work for the kingdom of God. I'm ready to get involved and be a part of what God is doing. Amen. Hallelujah. And I found it just a, a, you know, a growing up in church and being a part of working for God, there's a variety of different types of work for, for God. But I was trained as a child, if there's something to be done, you do it. Don't look for somebody else to do it. 
but get in there and get involved and do it. And to this day, I can't sit on a couch and watch somebody else clean the table off. I can't, some of the men said, oh my goodness. I can't sit there and watch because if there's something to be done, I got to be part of it. I want to be, somebody said, well, you're hyperactive. Maybe so, but I, I want to be a part of what's going on. Whatever it is that there is to do. If it's, a, if it's a paintbrush, if it's a vacuum cleaner, if it's a rake, whatever it is, I want to be a part of working for the kingdom of God. If it's wrapping up bread, if it's going out on Friday nights to hand out pastries to the young people, if it's uh, uh, being involved and in putting decorations up, whatever it is, I want to be a part of working for the kingdom of God. If it's putting together a Sunday school lesson, if it's working hard to put together a sermon to present to God's people, if it's going out and... Uh, and showing the love of Jesus door to door. Whatever it is, I got to do. I can't sit around and watch. I can't sit around and hope that somebody else gets inspired to do it. Whatever there is, if I see something that needs to be done, God put it in my heart to have the face of the ox that says, I was put here to work. Put the load on my back. Let me put my shoulder to the wheel. We want to make this happen. We're led by the Spirit, but we've got a face of a lion. We've got a face of an eagle and the face of an ox that is committed to doing the work that needs to be done. Amen. And I'm so thankful, 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 overwhelmingly thankful for those people that are members of the body of Christ at Life Church that are ready to work. Not above anything. Nothing is beneath them. They say, whatever we need to do, I'm there. And it's not just lip service. You can count on me. Amen. This is what causes the kingdom of God to go forward. Amen. Amen. People that know how to work hard. Amen. And the final face that we see on these servants or messengers of God is the face of a man. The face of a man. What could be the significance of the face of the man? We've got the courage and the boldness to step in where God directs and not be intimidated, not be intimidated by those around us. We've got the uh, vision to look forward in the future. We've got the willingness to work hard for the kingdom of God. What is the face of the man? The face of the man face of the man is humanity. Human beings. What do you call it when someone shows goodwill? It's humanitarian. The human being, the face of a man is concern and love and a willingness to help those that are hurting. A willingness to Reach out to those that have needs. Being moved with compassion. Letting your heart be melted when you see someone in need. I believe that the church that moves forward and is prompted by the Spirit is a church that is able to be moved to tears at the plight of someone who is hurting. Someone who's in need. Someone who needs to be shown mercy and it becomes our job a human hand under each wing to reach to minister to serve like the good Samaritan to pour in the oil and the wine into the wounds to bind up the wounds to encourage it is the compassion and the love and the concern for the needs and the hurts of our brothers and sisters and those that will be our brothers and sisters. I heard a message at the general conference this last year that uh, Sister Brown and I agreed was one of the more significant messages we had ever heard, timing-wise, content-wise, impact-wise for us. I'll give you just a little overview in closing. 
And if you're interested, I'd love to show it to those of you that would like to see a video of this sermon that impacted us deeply because I felt that it was right where we live and right what God's called us to do here at Life Church. It was a message about the Good Samaritan. The message was entitled Partnership in Lost Causes, Guardians of Lost Causes, Guardians of Lost Causes. The essence of the message was the traveler represents people in our culture because of the nature of our culture that have been destroyed and beaten down. People that are considered lost causes. These are the people that are addicted to drugs, that are alcoholics, that uh, have had multiple divorces. These are the people who were raised without a mother and father. These are the people that don't have the good jobs and don't have the education, but these are the people who were abused when they were children and struggle with sexual identity as a result of it. These are the people that are broken because of what culture, because of what our society has done to them. We live in a different world than what we lived in 20 or 30 years ago. Back when you could assume when a family walks through the door, well, that's the mother and the father and that's the kids right there. But if you see five people walk through the door, you can't make those assumptions anymore because culture and society has ravaged and left people like the thief did bleeding on the side of the road. And here's the story. Religious establishment can't do anything for them. The priest just walked by. The Levite just walked by because they knew this is a lost cause. I don't have anything to help them with, and they'll never do anything to benefit me. But it was the Samaritan who, when he walked by and saw what other people perceived as a lost cause, said, this man didn't ask to be beat up. This man didn't ask to be left on the side of the road. This man didn't ask to be from a home like this or to be addicted to what he's addicted to. He didn't ask for this. And so the Samaritan goes there to where the hurting person is and pours in the healing agent of the oil and the wine. I want you to know today that Jesus Christ is the good Samaritan. And he's looking for people that have been beaten up by sin and by the enemy and by life and by their surroundings and circumstances. It's left them bleeding. It's left them hopeless. But Jesus is looking for lost causes. Those people that other folks have given up on and say are hopeless. That's who Jesus is looking for. And what I have learned, what I have discovered is that God does some of his most powerful work through people that other people would say, there's no hope for them there's no use to give them any time or energy or focus but Jesus says that's who I can display my mercy I can show my glory I can display my power I can show out through those individuals because they were considered useless and worthless and beyond uh, repair lost causes Jesus says that's who I'm interested in and Jesus bound up the wounds and took the man and placed him on, uh, the, the good Samaritan bound up the wounds and placed the, the man on the donkey and took him to the innkeeper. And the innkeeper was given two coins, two, two days' wages, and said, the, 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 the good Samaritan says, when I come again, I will repay you whatever it is that you have spent. Here's the point of the message. Brother Terry Black shared with us, That the Good Samaritan is looking for partners that will be guardians of those lost causes. And when the work of the Lord has been done in their life, he's looking for a church that will have compassion and patience and understanding and a willingness to care for them. Amen. And whenever whenever the Good Samaritan finds a partner, finds someone that be a guardian in those lost causes, he will begin to drop them off one after another, after another, after another, after another. So get ready, Life Church. If we will have the face of a man, if we will have that humanity and that love and that compassion for people, that lives are messed up and they're hurting, and they'll never seemingly give anything back but we love them and we are uh, encourage and minister to them and I remember one time I'll be real honest with you I was frustrated I had given and given given to a certain individual 
and there was going to be no return. It seemed like it was a waste of time and a waste of energy. And I said to my wife, why should I waste my time trying to build a church? This is a waste of my energy. This person is never going to change. He's never going to turn around. And uh, my wife said this years ago. She said, God is watching to see how, what we will do with these people that, that nobody else wants and that seems like they're never going to amount to anything. If, if we'll just serve and love and, and do what we can with these people and pour ourselves out, we don't have to worry about the score. We don't have to worry about being repaid. We don't have to worry. If we will just have the face of a man and compassion and love for people, then God will take care of the rest. Why don't we stand to our feet right now? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 2012. 2012 is a year that's full of vision. 2012 is a year where I'm going to speak some things on Sunday that's probably going to scare or intimidate some of you. But I'm believing that God is going to do some amazing things as a church for us to move forward to where God wants us to go. It's going to take some courage, brothers and sisters. It's going to take courage to step forward and commitment from God's people. It's going to take hard work. These things don't fall together. They don't just happen. It takes effort and commitment. But I want to tell you right now that the driving force behind it has to be that we have a love for people and we have compassion for those that are hurting and those that are in need. And if we'll continue to have that and demonstrate and display that, then watch out. We won't be able to build a church that's large enough for the people that God will begin dropping off. Come on now. I'm speaking a word of prophecy right now. You want prophecy? Here's prophecy. We will not be able to build churches fast enough for those that God is bringing to our care, that the Good Samaritan is dropping off to us. People that you live nearby, people that you have an opportunity to minister to, the Lord Jesus is going to begin to do a work in their life. I wonder, is there anybody, hallelujah, that wants to be a minister, that wants to be a worker, that wants to be a messenger, that wants to uh, be about God's business, uh, hallelujah, in the name of the Lord, lift up your hands right now, Jesus. Uh, I pray, Lord Jesus, let your spirit uh, and your power and your anointing and your favor and your blessing, Lord God, be upon this church. Hallelujah. Let your anointing, Lord God, destroy the yoke of the enemy. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Here's how I want to pray right now. Brother Chris Brueggemann, I want you to come forward right now. I want you to help me pray. I want you to help me pray specifically because uh, Brother Chris Brueggemann has personified courage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not being fearful not being intimidated. And Brother Chris, I want you to pray that God would give us as members of the body of Christ courage to do what God has called us to do. Can we pray together as he leads us in prayer right now? Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord. You've blessed us so much, Jesus. Let us in return bless you back by doing work for you, Jesus. To have a heart to reach out to those who need you, Jesus. Lord, to be available, to make ourselves available for you, Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord. Give us the courage, Lord, the strength, the vision, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Guide and direct us, Jesus. Oh, Lord, put it in our hearts, Lord. Let your desires become our desires, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we desire to serve you, Lord. We desire to, to work for you, Jesus, Lord. Lord, we need to have love for one another, Lord. Those who are lost, Jesus, Lord, give us a passion, Lord, a desire, a love for those people, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much, Jesus. You are wonderful, Lord. Please touch each and every one of us here tonight, Jesus. Put a desire and passion in us today, Jesus, to reach out to these people, Jesus, to spread your seed, Jesus, Lord, to bring in the harvest, Jesus, Lord, because all that is done by workers, Jesus, not by the shepherd, but by workers, Jesus, Lord. Praise God. There's a flock, Lord. It's the sheep. It's the sheep that have sheep, Lord. The, the pastor leads them, but the sheep 
increase the sheep, Jesus, Lord. The sheep give birth to sheep, Lord. It's our responsibility to bring them in, Jesus, Lord. Help us to bring in a flock for our pastor to lead, Jesus, Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord. Be with us here today, Lord, as we leave here, Lord. Put a desire in our heart to do your will, Jesus. We thank you so much, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Brother Rick, I want you to pray that we would be people of vision that are spirit-led and have vision. Dear Father God, we ask you, Jesus, to let us not use our natural eyes, Lord God, things that, that are causing us, Lord God, to stumble. We ask you, God, to open up our spiritual eyes, Father God. Open up our eyes, Lord God, that we may see the things that you are setting before us, not the things that the world is trying to deceive us with, Lord God. We don't want a clouded vision, Father God. We don't want a path, Lord God, that we will stumble on. We know that you will be by our side, Father. We know that you will open up our eyes, Father. We know that when we cry out to you, Jesus, you are by our side. We know that you will open our eyes, that you will, Lord God, use these front doors, Lord God, as beacons to the world, Lord God, as beacons to this city, that it will, these doors will be opened, Father God, and the lost will come in, the hurting will come in, the broken, Lord God, will be called in, and the people of God in this church will be prepared, Lord God, with compassionate hearts, with hearts, Lord God, that not lend themselves to things, Lord God, that are of this world, that we will, Lord God, reach out to those around us with unclouded vision, with unstumbled path, Lord God, and with a love, Lord God, that has been doctrined and been ordained by you, Jesus, that we will set aside things that we are looking for, that we will set aside our own personal agendas, our own visions, that we will open ourselves only up to you, Jesus, that we will do your will, proclaim your goodness, Father God. Amen, Jesus. Hallelujah. Brother Rudy, come help me pray real quick. Come help me lead us in prayer for a minute. Brother Rudy always finds whatever needs to be done and does it. And, and does it. Amen. And I want you to pray right now for the people of God that God would give them a mind and a heart to work. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord God, we give you thanks and praise and glory, Lord Jesus. And we ask you to please, Lord Jesus, oh, light up that fire in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Light up that willingness to always do your work, Lord Jesus. Use us, Lord God. Anoint us, Lord Jesus, that we may always do your will, Lord God. I praise to you, Lord Jesus, that you please use us, God. Use us, Lord Jesus, to do your will. Let us be your feet. Let us be your hands, Lord Jesus. Let us be your will, Lord Jesus. Everything we do, Lord Jesus, let us do it for you. Let us you. Let us be always be the ones that always praise you, Lord Jesus, that use us, Lord Jesus, so that we may always be closer to you, Lord Jesus, so that always we show your work unto others, Lord Jesus. Use us so that we can always be there for you, Lord Jesus. And every time, every time, everywhere we go, Lord Jesus, let it be you who is in using us. Let it be you who's using our lips. Let it be you who's using our hands. Let it be you who's using our lives, Lord Jesus, so that we can do your work unto others and others be touched, Lord Jesus. Others know your love. Others know that you are the one that is in charge of our lives, Lord Jesus. Praise to you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Brother Francisco, I want you to represent the final face, the compassion and love for people and a heart for those that are hurting and pray that God would give us the heart of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for your blessings, my Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for your compassion, my Lord God. For you took the sins of the world, my Lord God, and you have saved us, my Lord God. You have given us a heart of a lion, my Lord God. Thank you, my Lord Jesus. You have given up the leaders, Lord God, our pastor, my Lord Jesus. Visions of an eagle, Lord God, in Jesus' name, Lord God. You have given each and every person in this body of Christ, my Lord God. Working hands, Lord God. Backs like an ox, my Lord Jesus, Lord God. We thank you, my Lord Jesus. Thank you, my Lord God, for the courage, Lord God. For the vision, my Lord Jesus, Lord God. For the work that we are doing, Lord God. And we are pl- 
Jesus, Lord God. And you, Lord Jesus, Lord God, you said and you promised, Lord God, that you will bless the hands of the work, Lord God, that we are planning, Jesus. And we thank you, my Lord Jesus, for the same compassion, my Lord God, that you have given us as sinners, my Lord God, for us to see, Lord God, not the people of the world, Lord God, the way the world sees them, Lord God, but the way you see them, my Lord, but the way you see them, my Lord Jesus. Let us be the hands, Lord God, let us be the arms reaching out to them, Lord Jesus, to the brokenhearted, my Lord God. Place our feet, Lord God, in the path of that woman, Lord God, that father, that fatherless child, my Lord Jesus, Lord God. Use us, Lord God. Use us, my Lord Jesus. Use Life Church, Lord God. In this city, in this city, in this valley, in this county, in this state, in this nation, my Lord God. We ask the time to be now, my Lord Jesus. Not another time, but this generation, my Lord Jesus. Save us, Lord God. Save our people. Save our nation, Lord God. Save our cousins. Save our friends, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, O Shapateriako. Hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. One man plants, another man waters, but it's him that giveth the increase. Be not weary in well-doing, but in due season ye shall reap. If you faint not, be, don't, don't you be weary in well-doing, but in due season ye shall reap. It's God, hallelujah, that are, is laboring together with us, and he will reward us in proportion to what we give and sacrifice and commit. Thank you, Lord God, for it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 If somebody feels faith in your spirit, put your hands together. Hallelujah. I just saw family members being filled with the Holy Ghost, co-workers, friends. Come on now. Do you see what I'm seeing right now? In Jesus' name, I see vision by faith, God fulfilling the promises. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord, greet one another in Jesus' name. Praise God. And we'll see you uh, Saturday. Make sure you get your tickets. Sister Anna, stand on that chair there. So <laughs> there she is. Praise the Lord. God bless you.